This is episode 18 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is marketer, author, and cartoonist, Stu Hynek. Let's get it started. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people from all across the globe, from all walks of life, to help motivate and inspire you all to get out on your own journey and your own path to fulfillment. Um, whether you haven't started yet or you're a little further along on the, on the you know, path to success, but you need some different insight and knowledge, whether it's practical or you know, philosophical to help you along your way and, and kind of get you going. So I think you guys will really enjoy each and every one of these guests and the different insight and perspective that they bring and really hope you take a little bit nuggets out of each and every episode to help you along in your day-to-day life. So that's a nice transition to my guest today, Stu Heineck. Stu can be found online on LinkedIn or his website, stuheineck.com, and his name is spelled S-T-U-H-E-I-N-E-C-K-E. Um, Stu is a Wall Street Journal cartoonist, a Hall of Fame-nominated marketer. Um, he's the author of a book called How to Get a Meeting with Anyone and a podcast by the same name. And I certainly recommend you guys check out um, his podcast or, or read his book um, because it really gives some good insight, some different ways to think about how to actually get people's attention and ultimately you know, score some big meetings or get with the right individuals. So whether you own a business or you know, you're a sales professional or marketer, I think it could be really helpful for you. But he's got a great, unique story of how he got started and how that ultimately, you know, using humor and cartoons to propel his business. Um, so I think you guys will really enjoy his backstory and some of the different um, insight he provides throughout the interview. Uh, so without further ado, let's jump into our interview today with Stu Heineck. Let's get it started. Stu, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, it's, it's exciting to have you and uh, glad to get a chance to chat with you a little bit. Um, as most folks know, I don't go too linear with the questions. I kind of uh, dance all over with a variety of things. But before we jump in, it might be helpful to the audience just to kind of give a, a high level, maybe your 15 to 30 second commercial. Curious just to, to share with them kind of who you are and, and what you're doing right now. Sure, sure. Well, um, I'm Stu Heineck. <clears throat> I'm one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists, uh, Hall of Fame nominated marketer and the author of How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. And uh, where, how do all these things combine? Well, actually, um, I've been using cartoons and marketing together for a long, long time, creating uh, all kinds of campaigns for direct marketers, uh, uh, started in the publishing industry and but just sort of spread from there. And the thing is, I discovered that cartoons are an incredible, it's like a secret weapon. And they allowed me to generate a lot of response for my clients in their in the campaigns that I created for them. But I also discovered that Cartoons allowed me to break through to just about anybody. And I mean, like anybody. And um, it, in fact, one little campaign that I launched using a cartoon, a personalized cartoon print with a letter, actually launched my business. I spent a hundred bucks on this campaign. It went to twenty-four people, and it launched my business. It was worth millions of dollars, and it cost me a hundred bucks. And that's sort of the—that's the essence of what I've called contact marketing in my book, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. Um, and in that book, though, well, I didn't concentrate on cartoons. I concentrated on everybody else. What's everybody else doing to break through to get these critically important contacts to meet with them or talk with them? 
and really propel their careers or their their businesses to two le- to new levels. Um, and and so that's what I'm doing. I mean, I've, I've got the book out. I, I help clients grow their um, grow their businesses by getting through to their top accounts. I help their sales teams break through. Um, but I'm also writing a new book, uh, the, the follow on to how to get a meeting with anyone. I'm pretty busy. Yeah. It sounds like a lot on your, uh, on your plate. Well, so let's start there. There, there's, there's so many different avenues uh, that we can go on. I always like to take a step back a little bit because I think that, you know, the whole nature versus nurture argument is, uh, is really compelling to me, especially the, the, uh, the nurture part in terms of you're doing a lot of stuff with marketing, right. In terms of helping folks. Um, you're doing the cartoonist thing. How did that all begin? Can you take us way back in time to the your childhood a little bit? One, when did you start loving marketing and how that, you know, kind of how, not, I don't want to use the word manipulate, but how you can kind of see what people are doing and how they're buying things and how they're reacting. And then in a different parallel, the whole cartoonist thing, when did you start loving cartoons or drawing? I'm, I'm kind of curious on both of those fronts. I know that's a loaded question to start. Sure. Well, it's a big one. Well, and a lot of it then ties together pretty easily. As a kid, I used to sneak Playboys out of my father's dresser drawers with my brothers. <laughs> so we would check out the magazines and um, obviously we looked at the pictures, but we also looked at, um, uh, I was also saying, well, look at these cartoons. Who who are these people who do this? I mean, how how do they do it? Um, you know, you you sort of notice in a cartoon that it's all very well, I mean, also, it's all very carefully constructed, even though it looks like it was just jotted down in about five minutes. But there's always, you know, there's there's a beginning, end, a beginning, middle, and end, or let's say there's a past, a present. You're looking at the present mode, but then there's also something about to happen. So there's a future mode in the cartoon, and there's, there's conflict usually in the cartoon between the characters. And um, just how does that all work? And, and I got really, really intrigued back then when I was, I don't know, 10, something like that, um, with cartoons, marketing came much later, <laughs> I gotta say. And, um, and, and really, I don't know, Mark, look, the thing about, the thing about humor, and it's therefore cartoons, is that humor is about truth. And if you think about it, you know, when we find something funny, we're always saying, oh my God, you know, after we finish laughing, oh my God, that's so true. You know, that's that's why we're laughing for some reason. That's why we laugh, because it's true. And and so that pursuit of truth, um, I think, pervades everything. I, I mean, it's, it's involved in everything I do. So uh, whether it's writing cartoons and creating the cartoons or whether it's writing a book or writing copy or whatever it is, I'm always looking for the truth. I'm always looking to find the truth and portray it uh, or convey it to to an audience. So I th- they're all really very closely tied. And so, so uh, certainly I would say that, well, actually, I guess it might sound like a strange thing to equate marketing with truth, but I, I do believe it is about truth. It's about the truth of, of a need that, that a marketer can help um, its customer base solve. And so there's a lot of truth in, in why that, or just what situations or what issues that marketer may be able to help them solve. And I think that's sort of, it's about human nature and truth, actually. Yeah, that, yeah I, I absolutely agree with you there. And I'm curious to pry a little deeper because just that whole, I, I don't want to uh, shy away from what you mentioned. So you're taking the Playboys out of the your dad's, uh, wherever he's hiding them. Um, did you start 
writing or, or writing the humor or the jokes? Did you start or the, the, the cartoons? Did you start drawing and illustrating some of that stuff or combine? Like, did you start that right away or was that a little down the road? You remember like, oh, yeah, I like those things. And hey, I kind of I'm coming up with these ideas. I'm curious, like, do you share that with anyone at that age or was that down the road more? Well, I, you know, I, I guess I just I was always drawing. And so um, it's and it, and it seems like maybe part of the question is which comes first. Um, are you drawing or are you writing? Right. Does that, mm -hmm. does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So. So I would say definitely drawing first when I mean, you're a kid. You know? So you're um, I, I just love to draw. And would you get and like, so, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, would you get like your your parents or friends or something like looking and saying, hey, I drew these. And then when you started to put some text to it, like, I'm just curious how that the that happened or how that evolved into obviously being. You know, I think the writing of a gag is much, much more complex and sophisticated a process than than uh, simply drawing. And, you know, the drawing follows the gag. I mean, you, you know, you've got to be able to um, depict, you've got to actually create characters and define them, not not unlike movies. You know, movies do the same thing. They they, de they create characters or they define the characters. And you've got to do that in a few, you know, pen strokes. Really. Um, but, you know, and, and you, you get good at doing that, just expressions of, of the face and hands and body um, body language and so on, just putting these characters in different situations. But um, but there's still no guidance in that. You're just doing it, right? Does that make sense? You just you just you know I can I can draw someone who looks surprised, but why are they surprised and why is that funny? That that part is it requires a much much deeper um, mode of thought and really understanding of uh, human nature and and. And humor, I suppose. I mean, it's not like I studied humor. It's just you know what's funny, right? So, um, but but constructing those gags really, um, but it, it really takes that. That's that's a lot of practice, and that wasn't something that came out of just saying, "Well, I'm a kid," and I just saw, you know, Gahan Wilson's cartoons or Eldon Dadini's cartoons in Playboy. I'm sure I can do that too. <laughs> you know, it took some time. I'm yeah, I'm assuming. So when did that? Just to kind of put some uh, a, a timeline on that. When did you start actually doing it where, let's say you were actually making money at it or you actually, it was something you were, you were doing as a, as a real um, career move type of thing. Is that, did that come much, much later or was that late teens, early twenties type? Well, actually kind of co it coincided with, with, um, with finishing college. So I studied marketing in college. That was my major. And <clears throat> at the, at the very, very end of my, my tenure there, one of my friends was telling me that he took he was taking this cartooning class at I went I went to USC so in Los Angeles and he was taking this cartoon class from the UCLA Extension um, school and and he was telling me about it and I'm I'm just I was just floored because you know the the cartoon editor of the New Yorker I mean that's the, the mecca you know of cartooning so the cartoon editor came in Lee Lorenz he spoke at the at the at the class and. Um, other people came in, and, and uh, it was run by Eric Teitelbaum, who uh, was one of the one of the New Yorker cartoonists occasionally, um, and was LA based. And, and he would just tell me about these. It just he just tell me about every class, and I mean, I would just soak it up. And um, and so I thought, well, you know, eventually, what I what I really really would love to do. Is, well, actually, I shouldn't even say that. It didn't come right away, but I. I 
I was going to say that I, I realized that then it wasn't quite then. It was just I started just cartooning, uh, an illust or humorous illustration, uh, which sort of like a cartoon without the gag, um, for the L.A. Herald Examiner and uh, and and other uh, you know, some magazines, in-flight magazines, and so on. And I just felt lucky to get to do it at all. I think I got paid five bucks a cartoon, something like that. Um, those five dollars were so precious to me. You know, I mean, I was working, but then uh, I was also then working as a marketing uh, manager for, for a company in LA. And, and that was when I thought, okay, look, you know, I'm, I'm a member of the cartoon. It was a member of the cartoonist guild. And um, one of the things that the guild sent us was a, a copy, a copy of a, an article from Folio magazine, which is the magazine for, ma for the people who publish and write magazines or create magazines. And it said that uh, it, it was talking about these readership surveys that were there have been done for i don't know how however long magazines and newspapers have been in existence they've been wondering they wanted to know what gets read and what gets remembered and what they were finding and what they reported in that article was that cartoons are almost always the best read and remembered part of anything they're in editorially that's huge editorial i mean you know a magazine or a newspaper those are collective works they're done by some of the brightest minds in the country or the world even and um and you know everything should be memorable everything should have should get your attention and it's those little silly drawings with one or two lines of 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 text that were capturing all of the high highest marks in terms of readership retention and um just memorability and 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 viewership so um you know i thought well i really want to mix that with with marketing and and at the time it was direct marketing direct marketing had really become a force then and also personalization had become a force. And I thought, well, you know, I, I've noticed though that people like to, they'll, they'll clip cartoons out of the paper, for example, and they'll, they'll use, I don't know if you remember whiteout. <laughs> Does that, so they'd, so they'd white out the name in the caption and put their name in or their husband's name or wife's name, something like that, and put it up on their bulletin board. And I thought, well, that's interesting. People are showing oh, what I, they would yeah, really do, like to see. Yeah. I mean, it's, here's, here's a human I just you know here's here's human behavior displayed right before me. People really would like to see cartoons about themselves, and so I combined all of that into um, a, a form of direct mail, I suppose that or direct or direct response that hadn't existed before because all of the pundits, really from David Ogilvy on down, David Ogilvy being the, the founder of Ogilvy and Mather and really the the original thought leader in marketing and advertising who used to say humor doesn't work, people don't buy from clowns. They had lots of ways of saying it, but basically humor doesn't work, don't use it. So all of the people in direct response were also avoiding using it, and I was the only one doing it. And you might have, that might have sounded like either I didn't know what I was doing um, and, and was terribly out of step, or I had found something that no one else, I don't know, no one else knew about. And it, that, it turned out to be that, the latter. Um, and these these mailings that I ended up creating for big publishers and so on, all the biggest users of direct response, these things were breaking records all over the place. And it was because people love to get cartoons about themselves. And I just I worked that into uh, a, a methodology for producing response. Were you doing so? Were you were creating the 
cartoons, like the direct mail pieces for yeah, I mean, businesses so, to sell, <laughs> pardon me. To so sell their product, I wanted to, were you actually selling the, at the time, um, the, the magazine done? publishers I'm curious were the that. biggest, were, were most sophisticated users of direct mail and direct response marketing. And so um, that's, and they had the biggest budgets and I thought that's where I want to go. So um, <clears throat> I got two assignments right up, right up front. One for Rolling Stone, the other for Bon Appetit magazine. So both of these, you know, I, I created these these test campaigns, and they went up against their control group. Um, and that may not may or may not make sense to your audience. So I'll just explain real quickly that in statistics, we're always testing against the control group, the constant. In direct response, um, the constant or the control is the most effective thing they've ever put in the mail, and they're always testing against that. So that that so that most effective thing that they've ever mailed the thing that they mailed millions of perhaps or mailed millions of at the, at the time that was called their control so if you beat the control uh, or actually if you if you tied the control you just tied the record with the highest response they've ever gotten in that uh, in that slot in their program if you beat the control and that really is a that's an outcome reserved for the very very top creatives in the field um, then you just set the record and my first two test campaigns the one for Rolling Stone and the other for Bon Appetit beat their controls. It was incredible. It was like a, a you know, a rookie walking onto the field and hitting two grand grand slam home runs in the Major League Baseball League. You know, it was amazing. So I thought, okay, great. What I need to do now is spread this to the rest of the publishing industry. And I created this little campaign of a little eight by ten print uh, of a cartoon. It was personalized. So each one, each person, sorry, each cartoon print was about each recipient. And um, sent that with a letter saying, hey, this is the device I just used to beat the controls for Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit. <clears throat> Pardon me. And, and so and we need to put this to the test for your titles. And <clears throat> that little campaign, um, that little campaign actually, it, it created a 100% response rate. All of them, I mean, I got through to all of them. And all of them became clients. It was also a 100% conversion rate. And it all came from this little campaign that I spent $100 on, and it went to just two dozen people. And it changed my life. It, it launched my business. It was worth millions of dollars. So that was the campaign that led to me creating a direct mail campaigns for all of the biggest publishers in the country. Oh, it's pretty incredible. The hundred percent response rate's un uncanny. Um, you don't see that much. So let's talk about that business again. So you had all this, you know, all these folks now having interest. I talked to talk to us those first kind of few months or maybe years of the business. How did was that just like, you know, the kind of the rocket ship took off? It was going so quick. I'm just curious how you managed all that. Um, because that could be helpful for a lot of folks listening to that or looking to start a business or you know, what are some of those things that maybe the hurdles you went through early on that you didn't anticipate when you were just like, hey, I love doing this. I'm sending this out. I want more interest. Well, you got the interest. What happened next? Well, you know, I got the interest and I ended up um, spending a lot of time in New York. Uh, I didn't live there. I've never lived there. But, um, I, you know, I don't know if there really were very many um, obstacles. I moved them all out of the way because I made the right contacts. I don't know if that, does that make sense? I mean, the thing is, and really it's the contention of my book, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, that if you can get the right meetings with the right people, the scale of your career or your business can, and your life actually can change almost in an instant. And that's essentially what happened for me. 
I mean, all of a sudden, I had all of the biggest publishers in, in, the, in the country, therefore, many of the biggest publishers in the world, as clients. <laughs> it, was, it was really pretty amazing. And I already knew what I wanted to create for them. I mean, it was just a matter of um, looking at each individual situation for each magazine, for example, to say, okay, well, who, who's the audience? What do, who, are you, who are you trying to pull in? As, I mean, are you trying to change the audience? Are you trying to move the audience in a certain direction? And, and what, what have you used in the past that has worked and what hasn't worked? And you, know, you, just, you just get to the point where you just say, okay, great. I know what I need to do. Let me put this together for you and, and away we'll go. That's a good transition um, into, you know, obviously with the, with the book and, and you're doing the podcast now with, you know, how to get a meeting with anyone. Can you give some, I'm just curious nowadays, because that was a, a little different time, right? How does that adapt to today? What what have you found helping individuals? Obviously, with the advent of a variety of different social channels, you know, email marketing has now been, you know, the muscles have been flexed for a lot of years on that. Where are you finding, you know, if someone would just say, hey, put your eggs in this basket, is there certain areas you would you would direct people to or, or give some insight to maybe get a better response rate that or maybe something they're not looking at? It's like, hey, you should you should look at this avenue potentially. Yeah, and I, you know, um, well, first you asked how are how are things different now than versus those days, and um, you know, I, I, not terribly different. I mean, things change; they just keep changing, and they change more rapidly. And whatever it is that we know now will become obsolete pretty quickly. <laughs> I mean, that just happens. <clears throat> and so, if uh, if you're just getting on the merry-go-round and you get really used to knowing everything about what's going on right now. Also, get used to certain. You can look certainly. You can look forward to seeing all of that change and, and become irrelevant. And you've you've got to continually uh, update your your just your understanding of the world to keep all of this uh, not only relevant and certainly has to be relevant, but also at the leading edge. That's a difficult place to stay, and it takes certainly takes a lot of work and, and a very very open mind because the things that you know now. And the things that, you, that are just ingrained in you to say, this is how it works. Those will, I've said it over and over again now, those things will change. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned email and how, how might people, what do people need to do now to stand out with email? And, I, you know, what's interesting is I, I, you know, I used the cartoon device for a while in, uh, in, in emails and in, and in email marketing and, it, and it works pretty well. So in other words, by dev cartoon device, what I mean is a cartoon with a, with a caption that's personalized. But, you know, what, what, what we've seen with, with the use of email in the last, particularly in the last few years, is that it's become the go-to um, method for reaching out to, to important, well, just to prospects. And because of that, it's become very, very crowded as a channel. And so one of the things, you know, when you ask about how things have changed and what's different and how do you sort of, how do you reckon those things? And I, I really, one of the things I think you end up learning is, well, watch which channels get crowded. And, um, you know, you can, you can certainly play in those and, and innovate in those, but also watch which channels don't, which, which channels become uncrowded because they'll be, those become some of your, some of the easiest ways to, to get noticed. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah. Cause it seems like, you know, I think where you're maybe going is, Maybe not, but the the direct mail and actually, you know, getting in front of people that way has become more prominent now because all these other channels are are overcrowded. Would you agree with that? Well, I mean, direct mail is one, but God, there's just all kinds of interesting 
I mean, there's interesting uses of digital uh, marketing right now to to open doors. Um, there's uh, emails. I mean, sorry, direct mail is probably a good example of that. that what what be, what was old becomes new again. But the thing is that um, in my even in my own campaigns, I've never actually none of my campaigns have really been very conventional. So um, so the contact campaigns that I that I put out now for clients. If they involve cartoons, um, we're we're talking about a really. It's still based in it's it still is kind of like a direct mail piece, but it's bizarre because it's it's an eighteen by twenty four inch quarter inch thick foam core board with a cartoon about the recipient on one side and and branding and messaging on the on the other side, you know, a message from the sender to the recipient explaining who they are and why they want to meet uh, essentially, and then it's packaged in this this sort of gallery. Um, corrugated car cardboard um, outer packaging. The whole thing, when when you get the package, it's an inch thick, it's, you know, 18 or 19 inches tall and 28 inches wide. It's a big thing. And it's got cartoon art all over it. Um, and it's and it comes in usually by FedEx. Um, unlike direct mail, those things are also preceded with contacts with um, with executive assistants. And they're, they're sort of a side campaign or a parallel campaign running with the assistant, um, so in some ways, it's, in in some ways, it's like direct mail, I suppose, because something is being delivered, something physical is being delivered. In other ways, it's completely unlike; it's just really un, unto its own, um, and doesn't look at all like direct mail. But I suppose, I don't know, if you're sending if you're sending gifts, if you're sending a if you're sending some really interesting box that gives that gives this really interesting unboxing experience. I mean, we see a lot of that on on YouTube, anyway. But this really interesting unboxing experience that takes you through a journey. Well, those things, I guess, you could kind of think of those as like maybe like direct direct mail on steroids in a way. Um, God, I think you know, just certainly have to have to keep, just keep innovating and keep an open mind because wonderful things are still there. I don't know. It's it's all as we know. It's all just changing. AI is becoming. Uh, a really interesting force in sales too, isn't it? I mean, you you see uh, these interesting platforms and tools that that are powered by AI that are will help sales reps become really just superhuman in the way that they track relationships and the, the way that they're able to to gather up information. Uh, maybe to do a a profile scrape that used to take I don't know weeks, perhaps or or certainly days worth of snooping around um and now a, i'm thinking about seamless.ai for example um seamless.ai will do a profile scrape thoroughly thoroughly across all all channels not so not just social media platforms but the news everywhere and um and it does it in a few seconds and it gives you all of their all of their up to date and and verified information let's say you know for email addresses and phone numbers and so on um and and those kinds of things didn't exist before. Um, they're wonderful things, and if they're used in the right way, man, they just they really propel you much further. There's no precedent for for having something like AI, um, but AI really it, it, it's it's amazing. Have you? I, I, I don't know. Is any of that familiar to you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting space. Uh, I'm I'm bullish on what's going to happen with it over the next few years. I'm excited uh, yeah. to kind of see how that's going to the, the health of the world out. Um, in a good way. I always look at the positives on things, so we'll see how that's going to, uh, you know, help things out. But yeah, definitely from a sales and marketing realm, um, 
I think it's going to be huge. So we'll, we'll yet to see where that's going to be the most impactful. But yeah. uh, I think you're right on that as a, as a key. Um, you know, I'm curious to ask here as we kind of wind down is what, where do you learn? Where, you know, are there certain, and besides your book, obviously that everyone needs to pick up, but the, where, where do you learn? Is there certain books you like to read or your top one or two that you, your go-tos? Is there certain podcasts you listen to? I'm just curious where, if you can get insight to others that, you know, want to learn more, um, where do you find those, uh, those learnings from? Well, I mean, there are some great podcasts out there. And one, one of the ones that, a couple of them that come to mind are James Carberry's B, uh, B2B Growth um, podcast and then Sandgram Vari. Do you know Sandgram at all? At, I do, yeah. The yep, absolutely. Flip by Funnel. Uh, yeah. So Sand, Sandgram's got a great uh, podcast. I'll tell you, though, and, and there's some really interesting books out there. And um, But I, I do have to say that it, it, maybe it's a little embarrassing, actually, because I write books, too. But But it actually doesn't come from books. It comes from observing and talking to people. I'm just observing the world and talking to people. The, the book that I that have that I have out now, "How to Get a Meeting with Anyone," that that wasn't um, that wasn't a book. I didn't write that book about myself using cartoons. Although I, I of course included the the story, but just for context. But really, that book came from talking to the top 100 sales thought leaders in the world and asking them, hey, when you absolutely have to break through to someone of great importance, someone who's nearly impossible to reach. How are you doing it? What? How are you making that happen? And they shared with me the most incredible stories. So um, these wouldn't have been things that I would I would find in a book, um, or, or perhaps not in a podcast. I don't know. I mean, they'd, have, they'd have to ask the right question. And I don't know that these people had ever been asked this question. So um, we there was this incredible resource out there, and really uh, I, w I I ended up tapping into something. I mean, I I was a part of something. I didn't realize it at the time when I was using my cartoons to break through. I didn't realize I was part of a movement. I was just using it. But what I've discovered later is that the more I poked around, the more I, I uncovered this movement out there, this sort of secret shadow movement of marketing or sales, maybe together, the two together, of using these audacious, incredibly clever means and methods for breaking through to people who are of critical importance. And um, and the only place to learn from learn about that is to just talk to people. And it's just sort of similarly. I'm, I'm, um, I've got a few books on the on the on the on the boards here, and so one of them is a, a book about strategy, um, business strategy, and growth strategy as informed by weeds. <laughs> and I don't know that there's another book out like that. I, I, I'm doing it because I remember seeing these weeds growing in in the middle of a freeway and thinking, "Isn't that amazing? <laughs> how, how did they do that?" How did they get there? How did they grow? Why are they, how are they thriving at, at the center median in the freeway? But how are they thriving in a place like that? And what does it tell us about how we can thrive, um, you know, through our difficulties? Because, you know, a sea of concrete is about as difficult as it gets for a plant to take root and, and thrive, but weeds find a way to do it. So there's nothing out there to, I just have to watch, I just, you have to look at the world and the world teaches you. Um, and that's the same thing, actually. That's the same process for writing as it is for cartooning. Right? I mean, you, I have to watch and listen, and you go through experiences, and you say, okay, that was a cartoon. I mean, I had a, a client once tell me uh, they were going over my proposal, um, and they said, well, we really, we love your proposal. We like everything except the price. And I thought, that's a cartoon. I'll just change price to, uh, here's a guy leafing through some papers. He's got a, the phone cradled on his arm. 
and he's saying, hey, listen, we got your proposal and we love, we love everything except having to pay you. So that's a cartoon, right? So it, it comes from observing what's going on around you, I think. Yeah, I like that. I like the observation, the awareness around you and, and, and just asking questions. Um, and being open to curiosity. That's awesome insight there. Um, all right, last thing for you. I always like to ask, you know, is there any advice, kind of final piece of advice for a- anyone listening, really? It could be a quote you live by. It could be maybe those learnings you've taken from others. Maybe it's a couple choice words or something that always motivates or inspires you. Anything to kind of leave with uh, as hmm. kind of a lasting impression on the audience? I mean, the one thing that's, that that always seems to, I, I wasn't thinking about this until you asked, but seize the day. And I mean, just nothing's impossible. There are, there are things, you know, the things that you think are impossible. Actually, here's the, the wonderful thing is if pe- people say that what you're doing is impossible or what you want to do is impossible, take that as a sign that it's actually a great thing to do. Just figure out how to do it. That's, that's awesome. I love that. You're right about that because normally the naysayers, right? They're, they're maybe behind the eight ball. You can, you know, go out and, and achieve what you want and, and just put your best foot forward. I love that. Yeah. Um, so it's been incredible. I, I've, I've really enjoyed sitting here listening to some of your thoughts and insights and uh, all the different things that you've kind of accomplished over, uh, over your career. And, and you still got a long way to go with a lot of the different folks. It looks like you, you have coming out and, and the podcast you're doing. So where can everyone find you uh, that want to want to surf for you online? Well, you know, I think probably the easiest way to connect with me is just uh, to, to, to connect with me on uh, on LinkedIn, it's just me, Stu Heineck, H E I N E C K E. Probably on, on the on the, the podcast somewhere, but just connect with me on on LinkedIn. That's awesome. Well, Stu, I, I appreciate the time today. Um, yeah, everything will be in the show notes and links to you know your book and podcast and all that uh, that type of stuff. And really appreciate you sharing some insight today with everyone. Wonderful. Well, I, I, what a, what an honor to join you. Thanks, dude. Take care. Thanks again to everyone for listening on this episode. And remember, if you want to check me out online, brianondraco.com is my website, B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O, as well as at brianondraco on Instagram and Twitter. I certainly appreciate any feedback and comments um, that you have and look forward to interacting with you guys further. Um, Remember, you can also leave a review on iTunes. That would be very appreciative. I'd love to know how I'm doing and uh, and hear your feedback there or whatever podcasting platform you guys are utilizing. Hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and look forward to catching you next time. Take care. Just get started.